The Healthcare Quality Cast is powered by the Quality Coaching Company. If you'd like to work with us to earn your Lean Six Sigma for healthcare certification or partner with our innovative corporate training and coaching programs to successfully scale your continuous improvement initiatives, then click the link below to learn more and apply. Hey, quality people, welcome to the Healthcare Quality Cast. I'm your host, Jarvis Gray, and in this podcast, we spotlight today's most exciting and inspiring industry leaders. We dive deep into the career journeys of these leaders that work daily to improve quality, safety, and service outcomes for their patients, their family members, and their communities at large. Our mission is to provide motivation and direction to our listeners, encouraging you all to continue your efforts in improving the overall quality of healthcare. Now, let's meet today's quality guests. Thank you for joining in on another episode of the Healthcare Quality Cast. And today I'm here with my guest, Dr. Andrew Gallen. Andrew, are you ready to share with some quality people? Yes, thanks for having me. I'm honored and thrilled to be here. Wonderful. Well, I am super honored to uh, to have you on. I appreciate you saying yes, because the uh, past guest of the show that told me all about you and the cool things that you're into, um, just you came so highly recommended. So thank you for, for saying yes to the invitation. Well, thank you. Wonderful. But uh, Andrew, we love to start every show with positive affirmations to really get our momentum going. So I would love if you could please share a favorite leadership quote or mindset and tell us why it appeals to you and how do you apply it on a daily basis? That's a great question. Um, You know, I uh, have 20 years of experience prior to getting into academia and I was in a number of different leadership positions. And the one sort of perspective that I think I adhered to the most was a perspective of servant leadership. So it's really, it's not about doing for other people, but it's about thinking about other people first before you think about yourself as a leader. And I think that's really sort of the best way to go about making sure that everyone has their needs met and feels good about what they're doing. Wonderful. I I had a chance to interview one of our recent guests whose show just posted also, and he described leadership as the action, the verb, lead, you know, and and that's very similar to what I just heard in your your example there. You know, it's the act of checking in with folks, making sure they're they're good to go, serving them before, you know, your needs are met a lot of time. So I appreciate that. I I can get down with that. Um, Andrew, would love to really jump into our next question because, again, just as you um, dive in with this question for us, I got to let you know you're not our typical quality person that we have on this show. So I would love if you could highlight your current role, you know, the, the work and the projects definitely that you're involved with, your background, and what got you into this career path. Yeah, thanks for asking. I After graduating from uh, college and my undergraduate degree, I worked for about 20 years, uh, 10 of those years with laboratories in a variety of positions in sales leadership. And I also worked with a number of not-for-profits. And I decided to leave industry and get a PhD at Arizona State because I wanted to become part of a larger conversation in healthcare about quality and certainly from a patient perspective. So I... Uh, completed my PhD in business administration at Arizona State. I did my dissertation in partnership with the Mayo Clinic in Arizona. And then my first uh, position was at Case Western Reserve 
University where I had a, a secondary appointment in the School of Medicine. I was, I was at DePaul University for about six years and now I'm at Florida Atlantic University where um, in addition to my appointment as uh, on the faculty, I'm also director of a center called the Center for Services Marketing and Management. So um, that's pretty much what I do. And what really led me into this path was, as I, as I said before, I wanted to become part of a larger conversation. I also wanted to be more involved in research and working with organizations on issues that matter to them, asking leaders what keeps them up at night, how can we help solve some problems, and um, perhaps um, bring that knowledge uh, to the journals and to the press and to um, you know really create something new and novel and interesting and worthwhile. That's wonderful. I appreciate that. And uh, so first and foremost, um, I don't recall if I shared in our first conversation, Andrew, but um, I am from Miami, born and raised. And so anytime I reconnect with folks that are down in my stumping grounds, I just got to let you know I'm jealous. <laughs> All right. Uh, it's hot here lately, but uh, you're welcome anytime. All right. But, um, you know, my, my, I guess, additional thought or question for you is um, from my conversation with Nicole back when she was, again, just bragging about you and the really interesting uh, work that you were doing through your work and your research was also around helping to develop some training material and certification around patient satisfaction. I would love if you, you know, if you want to take a second, kind of brag about that, share that story. And, and again, just how did you even get pulled in or involved with that? Yeah, uh, that's a great question too, because um, when I finished my PhD, I had studied a lot around customer relationship management and customer experience management, journey mapping, um, service blueprinting, really understanding how services are delivered and experienced from the customer's point of view. And my interest in healthcare um, really took me into the world of patient experience. And that's how I met Nicole. Um, we have both been involved with an organization called the Barrel Institute. I have no financial obligations or uh, ties to them, other than the fact that I think it's a worthwhile organization. I've been, um, as Nicole has, uh, giving our time and our, and our efforts to helping that organization. And um, so uh, I also started teaching a class in patient experience. I was the first one in the U.S. when I was at DePaul University in Chicago to teach a graduate level class in patient experience. I've been doing so for about the last seven years. And Nicole has been a guest speaker on my, uh, in my class as well and been involved in some panels um, where we tried to, you know, just share what we learned and, and um, help one another out. So it's been a, it's been a great learning experience. Perfect. No, again, I, I really appreciate, you know, just that, that overview of your career path. Um, one of the takeaways that I get, especially um, with the work that I'm doing, so going for me, you know, kind of being in the corporate mindset and the corporate world, slowly but surely kind of transitioning into my own business and, you know, kind of following a path that I'm much more passionate about. That's one of the takeaways that I even kind of assessed in your story. You know, you had the corporate lifestyle for 20 plus years, and then, you know, you kind of put a pause to it to pursue your PhD and all the other great leadership and research work that you're doing now. Um, that's something I, I just wanted to point that out because it's, it's kind of gives me this feeling personally, but this is kind of the similar state of mind that I'm in. It's never too late to like, you know, kind of blaze a new path um, to kind of create something new or just to do something that you're going to be just more passionate about at the end of the day. So that, that stuck out to me as well on top of the great things that you're doing. So yeah, I mean, I, I don't want to get too preachy, but um, <laughs> I, I think it's, I think, you know, if, if 
One great piece of advice in addition to what I shared before is that um, it well, it's never too late and always take a leap of faith. I mean, if, if you feel as though there's something um, that you're passionate about, then, um, you know, you shouldn't have any fear to really jump forward and to, and to give it a shot because, you know, we only go through this once and um, probably the worst thing you can do is have regrets. And so I think, you know, for most of us, if we just follow our passions and really sort of listen and take some time to think about what's most important to us, um, we tend to make better decisions than, than, you know, just staying where we are. Wonderful. I, I second that. Um, let me move you to the next question because, you know, now let's dig into your expertise a little bit more, uh, Andrew. So um, I would love if you can share with us and our quality people, our audience of folks that plug in with our show here, what are three critical topics or three critical concepts that professionals in healthcare quality and healthcare um, patient experience what are three things that we should have on our radars? Thanks for asking, because that's important to me. Um, I've worked with, uh, in addition to Mayo Clinic, I've worked with uh, Cleveland Clinic and University Hospitals in Cleveland. I've worked with University of Pittsburgh Medical Center, University of Chicago Medicine. Um, I worked with a large healthcare organization in Chicago called Advocate Health. Um, and, you know, in all the work that I've done, I've sort of distilled uh, a lot of my work, I've, I've done a lot of patient shadowing inside the hospital, in the outpatient setting. I've visited with home health patients by riding along with um, home health hospice chaplains and uh, physical therapists and gone into people's homes and, and been a fly on the wall and witnessed some of the care there. So, you know, with all the work that I've done, I've, I've developed some very simple pieces of advice for some of the organizations that I work with. And I think, you know, for when we look at quality, um, more and more, I think what we see is a value-based uh, approach and quality as being defined by a number of different people and letting the patient into that conversation. So, for instance, patient reported outcomes um, and those measures are being developed. But um, when we look at quality, you know, one of the first things I start with is that uh, patient satisfaction should not be the goal of a healthcare organization. And that may seem a little paradoxical coming from someone who really studies patient experience, but it's not about satisfying the patient. It's really about engaging the patient and creating an experience that's meaningful because, you know, I've done a lot of looking at, at mission statements and, um, you know, websites from hospitals and healthcare organizations. And I have yet to see an organization that says, we exist to satisfy our patients, um, you know, and so sort of chasing that, that uh, strategy really is not a good fit with a lot of organizations. And so I'd, I'd like to sort of move that conversation from patient satisfaction to patient engagement and patient experience. Um, so that's, you know, I think that's one point. And in order to do that, I think organizations really have to be committed. They have to be committed from the top down. It can't just be a flavor of the month. It can't be something that you know, organizations talk about, it has to be something that is integrated into their, their being. And you can't really pull out, you know, what is patient experience? Is it hoteling? Is it the comfort of the bed? Is it the food? Is it the temperature and the lighting and these types of things? Or is it really about communication? And the more we learn about what patients really value, it's about uh, communication, feeling safe, feeling respected, feeling as though they're, they're listened to. Uh, and that they're cared for as a whole person. So how can, when, when you really look at it that way, what is quality? Is it really looking at 
you know, these sort of hoteling issues, they're all intertwined. Someone has to feel comfortable. Someone has to feel listened to. Someone has to feel as though they're being given proper care. And it's really uh, personalized and customized to their own situation. And probably the last thing I would say is that, um, you know, very often we see that um, in this desire to sort of satisfy patients or to create better patient experiences, um, we sometimes have some outliers and, and at times they can be termed quote unquote difficult patients. And one of the things that I really try to convey to healthcare leadership is that before we label someone as being a difficult patient, we should instead think of them as a patient in a difficult situation and really move from sort of a, a label into a more empathetic uh, posture where we think about what it's like to be that patient and they're vulnerable, they are in an unfamiliar situation, they can be scared, there are a lot of emotions going on. They, in this day and age, they can be separated from their family and, and be alone in their situation. And so I think you know it's very easy um, to think about uh, how someone might act out in that situation. But when, when we look at it and say, you know, this is a person in a difficult situation, how can we partner with them and really get to understand what's motivating their behavior? then we take more of a partnership perspective. And that's where you can really resolve situations so you can deliver uh, a really quality experience. And a quality experience, again, is not just, um, you know, these sort of uh, tangential things. It's, it's really part and parcel about how are we communicating what the patient's going through? Do they understand what's being done to them? Do they understand what it's going to take to get out of the hospital? Do they understand what it's going to take to get better? Do they understand what caused them to be here? And can we help motivate some behavioral changes? How can we align their goals with the resources they need when they get out? All these things are, are incredibly important to quality and really central to delivering a, a really high level patient experience. All right, wonderful. That, that was a really great breakdown. And I was jotting down a couple of additional questions to throw at you really quickly. Um, so your first thought about, you know, the hospital is not about patient satisfaction. It's about creating the patient experience. I remember for myself, I came into healthcare around 2007. And at that time, everything was patient satisfaction. That was, you know, that was, you know, all the work and the projects, my very first project was a patient satisfaction project, not specifically a patient experience. Um, from kind of a historical or a timeline point of view, when would you say maybe the shift started to happen for everything to now be considered, I think more like today, I, I feel like I do hear patient experience more than anything. Um, unfortunately, I, I can't say that I personally hear patient engagement enough still, right. but you know, at what point over the last, you know, 13, 14 years or so, was there starting to become more of a shift towards the patient experience as opposed to just satisfaction? Would you have any insight on that? Yeah, I think, you know, in, in, in the amount of time that I've been working in this field too, I've seen that shift. And I'd say in the last five to seven years, you know, you've seen organizations like the Barrel Institute, like Cleveland Clinic has um, the Association for Patient Experience and, and other organizations are starting to really change that conversation. And that's great support for, for that first point, because sometimes when I engage with organizations, they're still talking about patient satisfaction. I think it's really easy for people inside an organization to say, oh, well, we've already done that. We've been working on patient satisfaction for 20 years or 30 years or whatever it might be. 
Um, and when you change the conversation from, well, it's not about satisfying patients, it's about creating an experience where they're engaged, um, then you can really start shifting the conversation from looking in the past and what hasn't worked and hopefully, you know, sort of reconfigure that conversation to think about what can be done in the future um, to get away from that mindset. You know, it was a sort of a funny quote that, that has stuck with me where, um, you know, when we talked about patient satisfaction, uh, where a nurse says, well, I have to save their ass and I have to kiss their ass too. Um, you know, and that's sort of the mindset we want to get away from is, is, yeah, it's not about, you know, making sure everyone's satisfied. It's really about doing the things that, um, you know, help people understand exactly why they're in the situation and what, what is going to be needed in order to help them out of it. And that's a different kind of conversation than, than just satisfaction. Well, and I, I personally prefer the mindset of experience because to me it is more holistic and you know for all the work that I do that is founded around systems thinking you know from the A to Z of everything that a patient or even the staff all go through um, I like the term experience more um, the next question that I have for you really quickly is the uh, other mindset I was trying to figure out my notes I was scribbling things down um, the, the secondary mindset that you shared in terms of looking at our patient and trying to understand, you know, it's a patient in a difficult situation, not a patient just being difficult. Is there anything from a mindset, you know, kind of state of mind, I guess, but what kind of tools or techniques or, you know, what can a healthcare professional do, I guess, to try to create that mind shift when they're dealing with a tough patient or a tough customer? to, you know, start to kind of step back and see that patient and customer a little bit different to your point of view. Is there anything specific or any best practices from, you know, the journey that you've had in healthcare so far? Yeah, that's a great question because, you know, you're under the gun and someone's yelling at you and there's a, you know, a really sort of bad situation going on. And I think, you know, it's, it's really sort of um, taking a step back and, and first assuming this mindset that, this is someone in a difficult situation rather than a difficult rather than labeling them as a difficult patient. When we assume that mindset, then we approach someone is not to calm them down or to put them in their place or to, you know, diffuse the situation, but instead we approach the situation and we say, Hey, how can I help? How can I help that person? And the success stories that I really sort of tap into are when people will, you know, a lot of the best practices around communication are to get at the eye level with the patient rather than standing over them. So you see hospitals will put some folding chairs, perhaps in some uh, patient rooms to, you know, just sit down and get eye to eye with them and then ask them, you know, tell me what's going on. Tell me your biggest concern. What are you, you know, what are you trying to say? And when you ask questions and you, and instead of trying to solve the situation, ask the questions and really unearth the, you know, the objections, then, you know, we've seen success stories where you quickly diffuse the situation because someone's finally being heard. Most of the time, you know, people are acting out because they don't feel they're being heard. And so they're going to act in ways that call attention to themselves in the hopes that someone will listen. And when someone starts listening, they start to calm down and they start to realize this person is on my side. And, you know, more and more healthcare is, is moving from a transactional approach, sort of this volume-based activity to value. And if we're going to do that, we need to move from transactions to relationships. And, you know, if we're going to have a relationship with, with someone, 
um, you know, you need to understand where they're coming from and asking someone, hey, you know, really, what, what is going on? Well, you know, uh, this, that, and the other thing. Okay, let's work on that. And also, you have a partnership as opposed to an antagonistic relationship. And so, um, you know, it, it, I think it starts with the mindset, and then it comes down to let's put ourselves on the same level. Let's, let's ask some good questions. Let's make sure we learn. And probably the last thing is let's identify a goal. So when I worked with uh, a large home health agency in Chicago, it really was, um, you know, the quality initiative that we worked on and the recommendation that came out of it in large part was let's identify patient goals and let's share those goals ar across everyone in the organization that touches that patient. So at every time someone talks to that patient, they first bring up that goal and say, this is your goal. Does it need updating? How are we making progress to that? How can we help you get a step closer? You know, what have you been doing? How can we work on this? How can we help you learn more? Can we bring some additional resources in? Is there someone else we need to involve in order to get you closer to that goal? And when people feel they're moving toward a goal, they see light at the end of the tunnel, all of a sudden their disposition changes. And so, you know, this the whole partnership paradigm, I think really has to, you know, as you said before, has to emanate from this experience mindset rather than just satisfaction. Oh, that's wonderful. I, I love it. And even as you shared, you know, the part in your, um, your example there about the goals, uh, you know, from a lean kind of a mindset, if we could even start to implement visuals that almost show, you know, uh, the scoreboard, you know, how many patients did we get to their goal today or whatever the case may be. I mean, it, it can almost emanate back to the staff, you know, we're helping them meet their goals. And our goal is clearly to help them achieve their goals. So how successful are the staff in, in meeting those goals too. So I, I get the feeling there's a lot of different ways that we could attack this in a positive way to get that shift to, to take place so that all of our staff can ultimately, you know, see these patients in that situation. Because from my experience, you know, nobody really wants to go to the hospital. You know, if we're there, it's, it's a situation that we probably don't want to be in, unless it's birth, you know, those, those few random situations, right? Um, so perfect. Uh, Andrew, I really appreciate that entire thought process and dialogue. Um, I want to go ahead and move you to the next question. And would love if you could share perhaps the biggest professional success or biggest professional failures that you've come across in your experience, again, as it connects probably back with um, patient experience or any of the other research and leadership things that you've done with the healthcare. Yeah, I mean, I think it's really easy to talk about success. Um, you know, when I first uh, started at uh, Case Western Reserve, I was working with the Neurological Outcome Center at University Hospitals, and we were looking at the effect of a step-down unit on stroke patient care. And um, it was in some ways sort of a failed project for me because um, the one thing I sort of took away from that was, well, well to back up a little bit was we thought this was gonna have profound effects. Uh, maybe this will resonate with you and, and some of your lean audience. We thought this was gonna have profound effects in patient throughput and length of stay. Um, instead of having a major gap between being in intensive care and on what you know they call the floor, just the, the regular nursing unit, there was a sort of a, a middle step put in where patients could be triaged to telemetry and a higher level of nursing care than just being on the floor. And this would help sort of free up some beds and uh, just make the whole process flow a little bit more smoothly. Um, and it was really, really hard to sort of get the metrics right on how to measure that um, and how to sort of 
you know, assess that, it, you know, in the right way. And the one thing I sort of learned from that was that there are some really, really caring and smart people in healthcare. And just when you think that um, something is going to work one way, then what you realize is that when there are issues and when something doesn't work, people step up and they, then they construct workarounds and they, and they figure out how to do stuff and they, and they redeploy resources so quickly um, because, you know, if, if you work in healthcare, you're, you really care about people. I mean, there's just no two ways about it. People are called into that as, a, as you know, vocation. And so, you know, that, that was sort of one of the things I learned. And, and, you know, I was expecting sort of a great publication and a great learning from that. Um, and what we found was that, you know, it, it's, it's really hard to sometimes measure outcomes um, because, you know, like I said, people work around stuff and, and things happen as you go. It's such a dynamic process where, uh, improvements happen on the fly. It's not just, you know, things just don't go from, uh, you know, being bad to being good overnight. They sort of, you know, you have to work through that process. And uh, it took some time for people to get used to that. Uh, I think you're spot on, um, especially with that kind of a response. I think those are the things that to speak for me and all of my quality improvement professionals that are going to check this call out. Those are the things that I think we appreciate the most about healthcare because most of us, you know, I'm an engineer by background, so I will never jump in, save a life or anything. I, I tell everybody, if you see me touching a patient, something bad is happening. But, you know, I, I think that's the thing that impresses us the most is that we get the chance to support real lifesavers. But that's also the thing that like infuriates us because, you know, making up processes on the spots and the workarounds. And unfortunately, to some degree, those things either become law or they become that story like, oh, we've always done it like that. No, it was one time that you did it like that, that you had to, you know, create something on the spot. But um, I, I really appreciate that story. And I think you're spot on. Um, how about any, any professional failures that also just had a huge impact or a great learning or takeaway for you personally? Um, you know, I, I think that um, when I left uh, industry and I came into academia, I was uh, excited to, you know, embark on this whole career and everything was, um, you know, everything was to me sort of a new direction. Um, you know, my first academic placement wasn't what I sort of expected. And, you know, I, I realized very quickly that um, I needed to sort of be in a place where, um, you know, I got recognized and appreciated for the things that I do and to get supported for what I do. I think that's not only true in academia, it was true in industry too. I mean, if you're in the wrong place at the wrong time, it, there's nothing really worse. Um, you know, and so I think really just putting yourself in a position and recognizing when things aren't, you know, aren't where they're supposed to be. And, you know, like I said before, I mean, life is short, right? So um, we, we need, need to really sort of recognize very quickly when things aren't working out and, not be scared to say, hey, you know, time out, let's try something else, let's do something else and, and move on. Oh, again, I think I can appreciate that. Um, I don't know how in tune you are with the young kids nowadays, Andrew, but uh, they have this saying, YOLO, you only live once. Yeah. So absolutely, I, I, I can take that and, and run with it for sure. Um, let me jump you down to the next question. I'm trying to pick back up on my list here for you. Um, 
Andrew, what is your favorite um, personal favorite tool or technique that you use or apply, again, either through your research or just around the bigger topic of patient experience? So you know, most of my training in my uh, doctoral program was around quantitative analysis of large data sets. And so when I came out, I was really you know, fortunate to partner with a number of organizations that shared with me some large data sets of um, patient surveys, you know, CAPS, HCAPS, um, CG CAPS, some ED surveys, and these kinds of things, uh, home health and large data sets where I did some analysis. Um, but more and more, I've also augmented those skills with some qualitative skills too, because I believe that um, you can't answer every question from just looking at data from a survey. Sometimes the, the most important questions aren't asked on a survey. So, um, you know, I've been involved with, like I said before, sh uh, shadowing patients in a variety of different circumstances. And most recently, I've been working on a project where we're trying to make better sense of patient comments that are written on a survey to sort of supplement their ratings um, and to you know, to really tease out some issues that, um, you know, again, aren't asked on the survey. And what we found so far, when we've been working on this for, for a little bit, um, what we found so far is that when patients are asked to write a comment in a section on a survey, most of the time they will share something that you did not ask about. And so when you, when you really sort of analyze the patient comments and look at them in depth and categorize them according to topic and tease out whether it's positive, negative, or neutral and start, you know, making sense of, of a huge number of comments. What you find is that they really call to your attention a lot of things that um, you're not going to know about unless you look at the, the comments specifically. If you just look at the surveys, you're going to miss a lot of uh, topics that are important to, to your patients. And so, you know, for instance, looking at a huge data set of, uh, HCAPs, where patients respond to the survey after being discharged from at least one night in the hospital, we find that there are a lot of comments related to teamwork. And um, that's not something that's explicitly uh, asked about in HCAPs, at least in the CMS part. Some of the vendors have some team, teamwork questions that are added as supplemental questions. But you really get a good feel for, uh, you know, how the patient perceived their their you know, the entire team to work together. Did they, did they communicate well? Did they help each other out? Uh, did care feel like it was coordinated and there were uh, good handoffs from shift to shift or uh, between people? And so those kinds of insights really, uh, I think, shared with an organization help someone understand what quality looks like from the patient perspective and really calls to, you know, the, my experience in sharing those insights with, with organizational leaders is that they then realize just how important it is not only to work together, but to make that teamwork evident to the family and the patient. And so sometimes you're doing those things behind the scenes, but if you're not making it evident to the patient, then sometimes, you know, you're not getting quote unquote rewarded for that work. And so, you know, it, it, it really is about making things visible and sharing that. It's, you know, there's this saying in, in the patient experience community, nothing about me without me. And so really that, that sort of applies, I think, in this instance where the insights gained from this are, let's not talk about the patient and, and do these teamwork and coordinated activities unless we're doing it in front of the patient. Let's show the patient that we're talking about him or her, that we're considering 
uh, a variety of different perspectives and that we're taking a lot of different perspectives, the nurse and the physical therapist and the social worker and the physician and the specialist and anyone who has any contact with the patient and really coordinating our conversation, but letting the patient in on that, showing them this is what we're doing to help you and we want you to be part of that conversation. So I had a uh, pretty unique experience. Uh, a few years back, I had the chance to step in on an interim basis as a, as a uh, director for an emergency department. And at that time, our ED was the, had the worst patients at scores across the whole system. And, you know, I, I came in, of course, this was my first real director role, even if it was interim. And I just told my staff, you know, my job is to take care of you. I want you to take care of our patient. But one of the things that I did, I started printing out our, our press gaining reports at that time, um, just the comments, the negative and positive. So I did, I took out, you know, the, the in-between comment and I would just print them all out and leave them on the um, break room table, unfiltered, you know, didn't cross anything out. And it's amazing, you know, the good and the bad that people are willing to talk about and describe. Um, so to your point, you know, just those comments loaded with value. Um, mm -hmm. If you are an administrator, if you're a PI person, if you're a patient experience professional, those comments without a doubt, just tremendous amount of value um, between that and a number of other um, strategies that I implemented. This was like, at least in my head, at least, this was like when GoPros were like really popular and you know, just the rage. Um, I went and bought a GoPro and asked a couple of patients to wear them. And we videotaped their entire experience going through the department. And then I brought the staff in and showed them the video on how they were either ignoring the patient or, you know, engaging the patient or the comments and the uh, conversations that you can hear on the videotape. And I mean, I, I had some people in tears just because, you know, they, they, they weren't aware of, you know, mm -hmm. the, the perceptions that were pre being presented in front of the patients. Long story short, Andrew, within about three to four months, we just skyrocketed. Like our scores went through the roof. We had the best scores in the entire system. Um, I, I don't know if this is true or not, but I'm going to hold the title. You know, to this day, the scores haven't been matched because um, I still keep in touch with a few of the team members there. But, you know, again, it, it started with the comments, but then taking those comments and coming up with strategies to validate the comments. It, it was a really good experience. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah. I mean, that GoPro idea is wonderful. Um, and, you know, well, a lot of but let me say it did get me in trouble. Now, my, my CEO <laughs> caught wind of it. <laughs> I had to stop after a while, but for the moment. <laughs> yeah, I can see how uh, how that might that technique might, might need some uh, permission, but I think it's wonderful. You know, a lot of the work that I do is sort of shadowing patients and giving that perspective. Uh, and I think that, you know, the huge takeaway from that, from, from your uh, experience is that very often, you know, people are so focused on, uh, you know, checking boxes and, and putting stuff in the EMR and, and, you know, I'm not attacking clinicians. I'm, I'm the opposite. I'm, I'm empathizing with them. They have a lot to do and there's yeah. a lot of pressures. There's a lot of expectations, you know, more and more they're getting called to do uh, things that have nothing to do with patient care. And so their, their, their percentage of their time spent with patients is dwindling. And, you know, in that sort of atmosphere, I think it's really hard to sort of keep your focus on what it is the patient sees, hears, smells, touches, you know, and when they see that, 
it can be very eye-opening and they can really look at it and say, my gosh, I never realized that. Um, you know, and when you just call it to people's attention, then, you know, they want to do the right thing and they want to get better. And, you know, they, they want to take care of their patients in the best way possible. So that's a great, that's a great example. That was awesome. It was a good experience. Um, like I said, it, it made me famous and infamous all in a very, very short period of time. Um, Andrew, thank you again, just for sharing both of those stories and everything um, that we just kind of went through. I'm going to move you to the next question. And I'm really just curious, interested to learn more about you, but um, is there an industry relevant leader that has had just a huge influence and impact on your career path as you've now jumped into healthcare and doing the cool things you're doing? Yeah. You know what, someone who comes to my mind is um, when I first uh, was at DePaul University in Chicago, I met uh, Sue Murphy, who um, is the director of the, their office of patient experience at University of Chicago Medicine. And you know, she's a nurse by, by training, uh, and she is just a wonderful person, uh, runs a great department there, and just uh, really has the patient on her mind 24-7, 365. But the reason she stands out to me is because we had our first meeting, and I came in, and uh, I was uh, sort of uh, had to go through the clearance of security to get in, uh, which is a little bit daunting. Um, you know, south side of Chicago, and um, I'm sure they need to have very tight security given, um, the, you know, all the concerns that they have around patient safety, and that's legitimate. Um, and I went through that whole process. And as soon as I, and as soon as I came into the office, she asked me, she said, how was your experience coming in here? Tell me about it. And she didn't want me to hold back at all in terms of what it felt like for me to be there and to, you know, my, one of my first contacts in the hospital was, you know, to be sort of, let me just put it this way, sort of, you know, interrogated by a, by a security officer as opposed to welcomed by someone. Um, you know, and that really stood out to me as someone who wasn't just there to, you know, to, to sort of, you know, just take up the job and to do it, you know, in, in her way, but to really think about what, what it was like for someone to come into the hospital and to get feedback from a, a variety of different perspectives. And she's just done wonderful work, but um, you know, that's the kind of perspective I think it takes for someone who's in customer uh, experience, patient experience to really think about, um, you know, what it takes and to constantly just live that and to think about you know, not about what we do, but how is it perceived and what is it like to enter this facility and, and how can we get data and how can we constantly challenge ourselves to think about what it's like uh, to experience the care that we get. Oh, wonderful. Um, very impressive uh, story with that leader there, Sue. So thank you for that share. Um, next question I have for you, what has been one of your biggest uh, customer or patient success stories so far, and why do you think it was a success? You know, I worked with a, uh, an outpatient clinic um, as well, and I shadowed patients in a family medicine practice. And, um, you know, I would meet them at the door. I got permission from, the, you know, the, my organization from theirs to do this and to take notes. And I worked with a, a template um, from... University of Pittsburgh Medical Center that had developed a protocol for doing this patient shadowing. And so I met uh, 20 patients at the door and I followed them through their whole experience, even in exam rooms. Um, if there was something personal, uh, I would turn my back until the patient gave me permission to 
you know, to, to uh, turn around. And so I followed him through all that and into the testing center and all the way through to discharge, all the way through out to the parking lot again. And I took copious notes and, um, you know, did some analysis of all 20 patients. And I provided some feedback to uh, the leadership of the family uh, practice clinic. And they had um, residents uh, there as well. And so it was a sort of a teaching opportunity for them, but they were extremely receptive to getting feedback. And, you know, some of the some of the most important things that I gave to them uh, or told them from their patient's perspective was um, that, you know, very often the last person to see the patient um, will, you know, recap sort of, all right, what did we talk about? You have a new medication or we sent in your refills and we, you know, we want to see you back in six months and here's a specialist. And, and when you check out, you know, uh, make all these appointments and get all this information and then in the short amount of time it would take the, the patient to get their coat on and to, you know, to get out to the reception area and check out and to get, go through the discharge process, a lot of things would sort of fall through the cracks. And I even witnessed some, uh, you know, interactions between clinicians and patients where they said, you know, the last time you're in here was six months ago. Did you do this? Did you do that? Oh, no, we forgot, you know. And so now care gets put off another six months, another six months. And so... You know, I talked to them about just closing that loop and trying to develop something. So the time it takes from the patient to leave the exam room to the time they sort of check out, um, you know, we don't have these things fall through the cracks. And it was just a simple checklist that the, the patient could take to the front, to, you know, to the front desk and say, hey, you know, I saw Dr. Smith or Dr. Jones or whatever it was. And, um, you know, here's what he or she, uh, you know, advised me to do. And so, you know, we don't, lose these opportunities to sort of make progress between, you know, between visits. Um, and, you know, the reason I call this a success, a success rather is because the leadership of the clinic was so open to feedback and was, you know, really welcomed what I had to say and, uh, you know, really wanted to see things from the patient perspective and, you know, being able to share that with them and then have them say, you know, this is something we're going to work on and something that we believe not only has implications for improving the patient experience, but also can have some positive uh, implications for outcomes and quality and, um, you know, progress with regard to the patient's health, you know, to me was, uh, you know, a really a good step in the right direction. It's these little things, you know, Sometimes it's not just a, it's not, you know, we need to reinvent the process. Sometimes it's really just looking at it from the patient perspective and saying, you know, here's one little thing you can do that can have some serious, uh, you know, downstream implications for a number of your patients. Well, I, I love that story. And, you know, even to your point in closing the story right there, it's, it's really just kind of that one little thing. And I mean, if you imagine a team like that team within the clinic, who's open to one piece of feedback at a time. And if they only tackle one problem a week to address, I mean, by the end of the year, they've made just substantial, substantial changes that has an, the experience, but to your point too, I mean, quality, safety, even, you know, whatever the conditions could have been, trip hazards or anything else. Um, so I, I love that story. I, I will notch that under success myself. Great. Thank you. Um, Andrew, for this next question, I'd love to just get you to think through what you would consider the number one challenge and the number one opportunity um, for today's quality professionals, 
but also maybe just today's healthcare leader, whether they're patient experience, but just healthcare leaders in general, what are some challenges and, and opportunities from your view? You know, I think one of the biggest um, opportunities and challenge at the same time is really looking at how are we going to um, use telehealth going forward? Um, you know, I, I've spent some time talking with some healthcare professionals about, you know, the fact that COVID and the coronavirus pandemic has really driven um, a lot of easing of regulations and restrictions with regard to telehealth and the platforms that can be used and the reimbursement that's associated with them. And it's nice to see, obviously, that, uh, you know, people who are uh, homebound or, uh, you know, unable to get to an office, unwilling to go to an office, um, can get that sort of help at home. Um, you know, the real question is what is going to happen in the future? And, you know, I think it really comes down to the fact that um, it's sort of a three-part answer, which is that we need to have the reimbursement and the policies and the regulations in place to reward telehealth. We also need to see the infrastructure built out. We need to see that organizations are making the commitment. And once they, I think they see that the, you know, the ROI will be there for them if the regulations and, and reimbursement is there, um, then we really see sort of, you know, organizations making deeper commitments into better technology, into training their people, into scheduling that in, into figuring out how it's going to be part of their business practice and business model. But I think the last part really is about trust. And are we using that technology to build trust between clinicians and patients? And that's, you know, that's the area where is, you know, the, the, uh, the sacred moment of healthcare, right? And, um, you know, you, you said you're not a clinician and, you know, I'm not a clinician either. I look at things from the patient perspective. I, you know, I'm, I'm not a clinician at all. I never claimed to be, I never will be. Um, so that's really their domain. And really, you know, from the patient's perspective, it's, you know, is this technology being used in such a way that engenders a lot more trust and continues my conversation with my, you know, with my clinician, my provider? And um, do I feel as though I'm being um, treated fairly? And is it confidential? And if we can get there, if we can answer all those questions and make people feel comfortable and, and have their place their trust in telemedicine and telehealth, I think, you know, this is really an opportunity for healthcare to transform itself and to really start moving forward. Um, and, you know, if there is a silver lining to the coronavirus pandemic, perhaps, you know, that, that can be it. Well, that's wonderful. Um, I, I totally agree with you in terms of that being the challenge and the opportunity. Um, my spinoff question for that, what is the role of the patient experience professional within all of that, because if now a lot of those conversations and those touches, I'd imagine, are with you know the patient and their provider, where is the role of the patient experience? Actually, now that I'm asking that question, the role of even the quality person in that role as well, or in that, that environment. Would you have any just thoughts on that? I know I'm you know throwing it out there, but just curious to pick your brains. Yeah, I think that's sort of the next frontier. There's been some work. I, I, you know, a lot of the work that, that has explored <clears throat> excuse me, um, pay, you know, uh, telehealth is really about the platforms and the usage and the types of things that are able to be done and um, the success stories. You know, there's some things that can be done and some things that can't be done. Um, you know, uh, mental health, for instance, has been uh, a big part of telehealth during uh, COVID and coronavirus pandemic. Um, and we've seen things, you know, even in the past where rural health 
has been supplemented by specialists who are able to diagnose uh, dermatological issues, for instance, via camera um, without having to be, you know, proximal. And these things are success stories, and that's great. But um, you know, I saw one person on Twitter that was talking about uh, telehealth and said, you know, if I break my arm, I'm not going to zoom my doctor. Uh, and so there, you know, it's, it's really true where, you know, there are certain things that you just need to be seen face to face, right? I mean, you can't, you can't do everything with telehealth. So, you know, it's really, I think, you know, from the patient's perspective, it's what are we comfortable sharing and what are we comfortable doing? Um, you know, to what extent, you know, can we, um, you know, engage with some part of the health system and where do we draw the line? I think that's really, you know, part and parcel of where we need to sort of go with this is to figure out to what extent do our relationships allow us to utilize telehealth in the future and where do patients draw the line? Perfect. No, wonderful, wonderful thinking there. Um, it's going to be interesting as we continue to push, you know, through the rest of this year into 2021 when hopefully a lot of this pandemic starts to either recede or, you know, vaccine, whatever the solution is going to be. But, you know, where do we go from there to your point? Um, it's going to be really interesting. You know, these are some of those topics that I personally geek out about when we talk about like the business of healthcare and the culture of all the things that are changing now, probably quicker than any given point in healthcare's history in the U.S., um, let alone the world. I mean, this is just a really unique time. So I appreciate all of those thoughts. And um, Andrew, we, we're right there at a point of the show that we call it the two minute drill, kind of my halfway, you know, point to transition into some rapid fire Q&A, but just checking to see how you're doing, man. Are you ready to rock and roll with these uh, next line of questions? I hope so. I, I feel like I'm ready. All right, perfect. And I apologize now. I think I'm going to go a little bit over my time with you. You're okay if we extend a little bit longer? I'm okay. All right, perfect. Well, I'll try to tie them all up super quick for you. But uh, next question I have for you is something of a two-parter where I would love for you to tell our quality people something about your current role that inspires you to do your best. And then how do you also inspire other professionals? So the thing that inspires me is, you know, I think about patients who really need to have a voice in healthcare. And so I try to be that conduit for them where whether they're filling out a survey or writing a comment or going through an experience and I shadow them and pass on those notes or, you know, whatever it might be is I, you know, I, I try to be a voice for patients, particularly patients who haven't been heard before. So that's sort of what inspires me to do my best. And, you know, just academically speaking, I hope that the things that I work on, the things that I publish, um, you know, aren't just sort of uh, stored away in some jur obscure journal, but that find the light of day and hopefully inspire someone to do something differently and to, you know, hopefully, and from an academic perspective is to, uh, you know, it would be my honor to have someone to say, hey, you know, I'd really like to follow what, uh, you know, what he's doing. You're wonderful. And what's the best piece of career advice that you've ever received? Um, that's a really good question. I think uh, the best piece of career advice I've ever received was if you make a mistake, you have to own it. Apologize, be authentic, and really internalize it and try to learn from it. You know, I mean, I think we can beat ourselves up quite a bit and we can hold on to things too long. Um, and sometimes our pride is too strong. But I think the best piece of advice that I've gotten and I try to do this, uh, you know, I'm, I'm as guilty as the next guy of this is, is really to, you know, own my mistakes, apologize, and, and try to make it right and move on. All right, perfect. And 
Next question, um, what would you consider are three key attributes of being a successful, um, at, let's change it up, a successful patient experience professional? Yeah, I think, you know, patient experience and quality go together because, um, you know, it's very difficult to deliver a high quality experience without uh, delivering a high level patient experience. And so, um, you know, I think when we look at it, it's really an organization I worked with said, hey, look, we need to have good outcomes. We need to have high quality processes and we need to have uh, high quality patient experiences. And they sort of set up this Venn diagram where the sweet spot was the intersection of those three concepts. And, you know, the conversations I had with the organization were, were so fruitful as a result of that, uh, of that diagram because it helped everyone realize that you cannot work on one of those without impacting the other two. And they are interdependent. So, you know, anything you do to make someone's life safer, prevent falls, for instance, in the hospital, you know, if you prevent falls, people have a much better experience and they feel safe and they end up doing much better. Their outcomes are improved, right? So, you know, it's just about communication and setting up programs where people understand exactly what they're doing. And so, you know, I think in that sense, quality and patient experience are so intertwined that it's, it's difficult to sort of pull them apart. It's part and parcel of the same kind of concept, which is just delivering great care. Perfect. And I agree with you. You know, it's so funny. Like I said, my very first project, and I remember it still so clearly from 2007, because you never forget your first, but it was a patient satisfaction project in the emergency department that as we started digging into it, turned into a patient throughput project. And by the time the entire thing was done, you know, we saw tremendous improvements in our length of stay and our satisfactions. Just about every project that I've worked on, there, those two things are always connected. And then, of course, we're always looking for safety. Yeah. So I love the Venn diagram mindset. Next question I have for you, Andrew, is uh, could you please share with our quality people one professional society and one professional conference that you think would be a value add? So I mentioned before the Barrel Institute. It's B-E-R-Y-L, the Barrel Institute. And they're not paying me. Um, I get no remuneration from them. But uh, I just happen to be involved with that organization as is Nicole and uh, a number of other people that I know who would speak highly of it. So they run a conference every year. Um, this year it was virtual, obviously. We're all hoping we can go back to face-to-face conferences soon. But I think you know that's a, that's a conference that is not just for patient experience professionals, but for all healthcare people, because you get a really good perspective on um, what it's like to be a patient. They have patients, they have clinicians, they have... Um, a lot of nurses um, and a lot of clinical staff that attend the conference. And it just helps you get out of this mindset of what we do into, you know, experiencing for a couple of few days, the impact that you can make as a healthcare clinician and professional. And sometimes you need to tap into that just to, to get your motivation back and to get your confidence back and to really reconnect with the purpose of why you're in healthcare to begin with. Wonderful. I appreciate that shout out. And then um, if you could recommend one book to our quality people, what would it be and why? You know, I just found a book uh, by Sue Robbins called Bird's Eye View. So Bird's Eye, E-Y-E View, uh, stories of a life lived in healthcare. And um, I, I've just started looking at it and, and cracking it open. But so far, it's, it's really nice because 
it really shows the power of narratives. And, um, you know, very often in healthcare, a lot of people are looking at data, 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 and reports and, you know, Excel spreadsheets and these kinds of things. And I think, you know, the example you gave before, for instance, is people connect with comments because it's sort of a different perspective and a different view. And when, you know, we connect through stories, it's part of the human experiences. That's how we share a lot of our knowledge and insights. And narratives can be a really sort of um, important way of conveying you know, what's important to people and, and how you can make a difference in healthcare. Right, perfect. I, I'm not familiar with that, but um, one of the benefits of these interviews is I get to hear the recommendations first and then I get to check out the book. So I appreciate that personally. Um, and I hope it's a good one for the crowd um, that will plug in with this episode. So thank you for that. Andrew, I call this next question, the silver bullet question. Um, what is one piece of advice that you would give to healthcare organizations to help them better manage their operations and improve outcome? Yeah, the one thing that I say to everyone I work with is you need to set time aside in your schedule from the top down, from the CEO all the way down throughout the entire organization for everyone to spend some time during every year shadowing patients or just, you know, wandering around and, and let people see what it's like to be a patient there. Go sit in your way. If you work in the ED, let me give you an hour to sit in the waiting room and to see what it's like and to be a really sort of keen observer in terms of what, it, what it's like to be there and to wait and to witness what people go through and, and how long they wait and what the dynamic is and whether it's comfortable and whether it smells and whether it's loud and whether it's well lit and whether there's good Wi-Fi and, you know, all kinds of stuff. Um, you know, spend some time looking at what you do from the patient perspective, even a little bit every year will just change your perspective immensely and really put you back in touch with why you do what you do. So if it's okay to jump in on your, uh, your two minute drill here um, to one up your story just a little bit um, back at that same experience, when I stepped in as an EE director, I had one day where I pulled my CEO um, since I was reporting to him at that time while I was in that position, um, had him come and just kind of go to the gimbal with me. You know, we hung out in the emergency department and then, you know, we caught it perfectly there was a patient walking in and registering and I said, let's shadow this patient. And we literally, you know, we introduce ourselves, Hey, you know, I'm Jarvis and the CEO, and we're just going to hang out with you. This is all about you. And of course the next move was that person had to go sit in the waiting room. So we just went and sat and, you know, the, the interesting observation was, you know, he was just like, so what happens now? And I was like, we wait. And, you know, it was just like, Okay. Yeah. And he was like getting antsy fidgety after about five minutes. And we probably stayed there for about 45 minutes with that patient in the waiting room. And his experience was, Oh my God, that, that happens all the time. And I was like, yeah, this is just so absolutely. I just had to share that story and that experience because when top leadership can actually share that experience yeah. um, from there again, you know, the things that I did, the, the, you know, the first stories, the GoPros, those are just, the first parts of some of the very untraditional things that I brought to that department. Um, but he approved it. He just let it ride. Um, and he slapped my hand a little bit when it got too bad. So um, <laughs> just to, again, share that story, but I, I love your takeaway, you know, having that time to break away and see the world through the eyes of our customers. That's the, that's the take. Yeah. And you know, that's a wonder, that's awesome that you guys did that because 
you know, even if, even if nothing changes in, with regard to the processes, even if you don't see something that you say, hey, you know, let's, let's redesign or innovate this process or change this or that, if nothing else, it, it brings a humility to what you do because you totally. see that it's about serving others. It's, it's really about, you know, like Bob Dylan said, you know, you got to serve somebody, right? So, you know, you, you choose and in healthcare, you choose to serve a patient and, and losing sight of that really would, would be horrible. Spot on, spot on. Um, Andrew, man, we are right there at our very last question, but this is our closer. And I would love to kind of put you in a setting. So let's say that we're sitting here a year from now celebrating what a great, great year it's been because hopefully Corona is no longer around. But, you know, we're here and we're just out um, celebrating the overall success. I would love for you to just take a second and think about it. But what exactly did we achieve? And then how are we celebrating? Well, if we achieved anything this year, it would be to, you know, continue this, this movement from patient satisfaction to patient experience and really continue to put the patient at the center of healthcare. I mean, patient-centered care is something that is gaining a lot uh, in terms of its momentum and the, the shift to value-based care. I'd love to see more people insured. I'd love to see more people get healthcare coverage and to invest more in the health of, uh, you know, of people who live here. And if we could celebrate it all, it would be on a, a, a charter boat, maybe you and I leaving from Miami with a cocktail in hand. How about that? All right. I, I'm in, you know, maybe a day trip over to the Bahamas or something, but I'm in. Oh, <laughs> uh, now, now you just have me longer for Miami again. See, I, I, I thought I was over it. I thought I was going to get through it without a quick reflection, but there we go. All right. Um, Andrew, sir, I, I really appreciate just every insight, every story, just, you know, the generosity with your time and expertise tonight. So um, first, just let me thank you so much for that. Um, before I let you go, I'd love to just end this entire conversation with uh, you sharing the best way for our audience to connect with you or to follow you on social media, and then we'll officially sign off. Great. I mean, I'm on um, LinkedIn. I'd love to connect with anybody. Um, I, I enjoy conversations and keeping up with what's going on. And um, I'm also on Twitter, uh, A-G-A-L-L-A-N. That's easy. I also have a company, an, an, an advisory and analytics company called Dignity in Action. And if you Google that, uh, you might find that as well. That, that's, uh, there's a website for my organization. And uh, if you want to get in touch with me personally, I would invite anyone to send me an email, agallan, A-G-A-L-L-A-N at F-A-U. Florida Atlantic University.edu. Right, perfect. And, and for your advisory company, um, would you want to take a second and just kind of highlight some of the, the services or, you know, information you provide through that? Yeah, you know, uh, I am not a consultant. I can't be on ground 24-7, but I can offer some uh, services with regard to looking at some data and uh, working with your organization to try to figure out at the strategic level, how you can better integrate uh, the folks you have and to maybe look at some opportunities for where your consultants would be best served within your organization. I've worked with um, a number of organizations in that capacity. And it's really sort of, you know, just making sure that um, you have a different voice and you have a partner in helping you design your strategy. All right. Wonderful. Now, I appreciate, you know, just taking the time to share a little bit more about 
Um, everything that you're doing, um, Andrew, again, I appreciate this entire conversation. Um, if it's okay, I'd love to run a short idea about our Quality Impact Academy. It's a new program that I just launched. So we'd love to uh, go offline with you for a few more minutes and just hold you up and share more information there um, to our quality people everywhere. Thank you all for listening and making us a part of your day. This is Jarvis and Andrew, and we are signing off. Quality people, thank you so much again for plugging in with today's episode. If you enjoyed it, please feel free to share it using the social media link posted in the notes below. I'd also be very grateful if you could subscribe, give us a rating, and also share feedback on what additional value we can bring to you through this podcast. That helps a lot with our show rankings and also with getting this great content out to healthcare leaders around the world. And if you want to engage with me directly, then please connect with me on LinkedIn where I share additional resources, access to our QI community, and much more. All right, quality people, thank you again, and I'll see you back here next week when I introduce you to another quality guest.